Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open, Pete. Hell yeah. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 102, Maps and Legends, comes to you now via illegal Romulan forensic molecular reconstruction. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, good news. All access says subscriptions are up. The highest amount of new subscribers ever. The number, the percent, uh, they're a little more vague on that. 108% of this and so on and so forth. But good news, right? I know there was an unconfirmed uh, report. They have 12 subscribers. Okay, 15 subscribers. Um some technical issues in the last week, of course, notwithstanding, which is per the case for CBS All Access. But uh, the the buzz around Picard has clearly brought people to CBS All Access. It has also brought people to Discovery, helping their numbers in an ancillary way. On top of the fact that the pilot for Picard is now available free via CBS All Access on YouTube. So another reason to kind of draw people in, they did this with the season two debut of Discovery as well. And, you know, it's funny. We think that we are so entrenched in the streaming model at this point. Uh, And to think back to the OG of it all with Netflix and, you know, hit your biggest oomph with House of Cards and then next is something different with Orange is the New Black. It kind of hadn't occurred to me, and I don't know that this is that, that this was necessarily the Star Trek streaming plan uh, out of the gate, but to start with the newness of Discovery, all right, that worked for a lot of people, other people, you know, it's too new, it's too different, primarily because they don't like women and people of color, um, but to now come with your second show being kind of more of that nostalgia, at least from from the outset, hey, I know that guy. Oh man, I watched my one episode this week. I I have no more Star Trek. Wait, there's two seasons already. It's just an interesting way to kind of... Step two is your nostalgia. Step one is your catalog, which is not how other streamers have done it in the past. Yeah, and I think that it very much benefits the retention. It's going to be interesting to see as the additional eight episodes of this season unfold. We know that season two is ready to film any day now um, and getting ready for the soon debut date of Discovery's third season with lower decks in the offing sometime after that, how much they can hold over, how much they attempt to uh, to keep this audience. We, we know You know, unsubscribed. We unsubscribe when there is no new Star Trek to check out. Well, with that, Pete, let's head to our mission briefing. High above Mars, the Utopia Planitia shipyards celebrate First Contact Day 14 years ago in 2385. A hard-hatted human wakes what he refers to pejoratively as plastic people who greet Mr. Pincus as they head to work as shuttles depart. A female worker complains about all the other try high stations getting off for the holiday, but a male worker ominously observes, uh, to have a skeleton crew 
there must be skeletons. F8, an android, a synth here, enters, and another female worker asks him if he got in any trouble last night, to which he replies, hell yeah. Clearly, the jokes at him slash with him uh, show that he is not considered to be the equal of these humans. Uh, There's even a little, hey, you shouldn't say that. Hey, who cares that he can hear us? Uh, Discussion back and forth Uh, at lunchtime. Industrial replicators serve a lesser lunch. Pete, it's just your standard workers talking about how the chow could be better and such. Damn Uh, space pineapples again. I know. Uh, F8 receives a signal, perhaps reaches countdown. Uh, Something happens because there's blinky blinky in the eyes. Uh, He goes over to a touch screen and starts pushing buttons. There's even Pete some rotating hand action as one might do to a safe. I don't know if that's meant to be an unlocking sort of thing. Suddenly red lights and alarms sound in the small room. Uh, Concurrent to that, a voice announces that multiple synths are revolting across the the shipyard, across the planet. Uh, F8 breaks a man's neck, I believe, Pete, with the no-look maneuver there. Yes. uh, And proceeds to take out the rest of the team with what I'm assuming is a phaser welder of sorts, even blasting two security guards. Pete, we are at this point in the the story. We are 15 years away from the 25th century, and uh, red shirts still be red shirts. Uh, Clearly a cascade failure in progress on the planet, even as F8 blasts his positronic brain out. Yes, the uh, tri-high station A-19 calls this in before their demise at the hands of F-8 or Fate, Matt. Oh, man. Uh, the the penchant, perhaps, for uh, these, these funny names, I think, cannot go without notice. And we'll talk about that more when we discuss theories. But uh, into the title card there after the flashback of the uh, attack on Mars before we return to Chateau Picard, where the retired Admiral pours over the security feeds with Laris and Javon. Uh, Dodge, Asha, and her assailants have been erased, and Javon observes that that is the Tal Shiar's operational style but Laris doesn't think they'd be so audacious as to operate on Earth. And uh, Picard wonders who it could be before Jabon can finish shaking his head. Laris unveils the myth of Vajat Vash, this boogeyman used to frighten new Romulan Talshiar recruits and children. Yes, this notion of a more secret, secret police. Uh, they support... Secretist police. Indeed. Uh, what fiction, Pete, to think that there could be, at the highest levels of government, a conspiracy to, you know, deprive due process and justice. Uh, they, the Jat Vash, are, are fanatics, apparently, possibly, when it comes to the uh, support of the Romulan kind of cultural ban on artificial life i'm talking androids i'm talking advanced ai i'm talking you know digital assistance on your pad or your phone all this driven by the hate of the synthetic 
Yes, and Jat Vash being a term sometimes used to refer to the dead, the only reliable keeper of secrets. So this secret that this secret organization is founded upon protecting that dates back thousands upon thousands of years, we're told a little later on, uh, is apparently so profound and terrible that just learning it can break a person's mind. Good news, Pete. We are, at least thus far, unbroken. Uh, all of this is, maybe not all of this, much of this scene is intercut with Laris and Picard beaming into Dodge's apartment. Uh, side note, whenever you have an intercut like that, I always wonder, was it scripted like that? Did they decide in the edit, this one scene is a little talky or a little slow, this other scene similar if we intercut it it's got a little bit more oomph um not a criticism just i think you know at a certain point in the edit you go how do we make the best show possible but pete in dodge's apartment it is clean as clean could be clear of any evidence uh laris uses a molecular scanner one of those romulan molecular scanners to reconstruct the last moments of dodge and her boyfriend side note pete identified here in the subtitles as kaler C-A-L-E-R. Yeah, but I like our name better. I do. Uh, Yi, because we hardly knew Yi. Uh, Pete, your thoughts on the Romulan molecular scanner? Well, of course, Picard points out that, one, it's illegal, and two, the results are dubious at best, but <laughs> that's what those sneaky Romulans wanted the Federation to think. Uh Bottom line, though, aside from uh, the <laughs> the replay of uh, the last episode that, that it has, uh, and I say that in quotes, although Memory Alpha says that Kaler, the boyfriend, only appears in archival footage. Uh, to me, this is new footage. It's from new angles, but I digress. Um, it appears to have been a flat-out, fully effective wipe. However, there may be a small clue left inside a false clue that was meant to show that the place wasn't completely wiped. So a little kind of slightly clunky exposition there, but the idea that there could be a little truth in a little bit of fake so that it doesn't look completely clean as opposed to the mostly completely clean that it is. I will disagree. I think it's pretty elegantly unfolded, one between the, the intercut of the two locations and the two discussions, and two with this idea that invariably there would be things particularly because we're dealing with identical androids that uh would somehow trick the computer so of course they find some proof that uh the the sister exists and it's not so much of uh you know where she is but where she isn't she is not on earth Pete, with that, we're going to cut to Not Earth, starting a an editing pattern in this episode where we go Picard, not Picard, Picard, not Picard. Uh, we cut to, Pete, what I think you and I and our listeners could colloquially call the Borg Cube. However, uh, it gets mentioned at some point in dialogue. It's not a Borg Cube. It's a reclamation site because Borg Cubes are connected to the thing and there's no longer connected to the collective. But Also referred to as... In this scene, the artifact, later it gets a, an even more official name. Uh, but Pete, 
there's something else going on in this scene, okay? Because Soji and Narek, they are, shall we say, post and flagrante delicto, okay? In addition to that reference about the, the cube being uh, inoperative and disconnected, it's also mentioned uh, that the Romulan plan is to harvest technology from it and to make money uh, money off the, the sale of it. I have to admit, Pete, I'm usually pretty good at kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at exposition. I, I think that for, you know, post-fun-time uh, pillow talk, the show does a good job of kind of hiding the story vegetables of here's the Romulan plan, at least as we understand it thus far. It, it, it sells it in a really organic way. Yeah, and as Narek and Soji are uh, finishing up snuggling here before uh, her alarm to go to work goes off, you know, as we're headed into, it, it's unique to have these quarters, what with floodlights, uh, in a Borg cube later, the idea of residency and you're also living there and there are gray areas that if you venture out of, you will be prosecuted and or possibly assimilated. So really, really interesting what's going on at this reclamation site slash artifact slash institute slash living quarters uh, apart from the secretive romance here that's happening, uh, but former drones seen doing work with their their implants taking off as we uh, we head to this scene here, and uh, you know it's it's what you would expect as they're unfurling character. We know so little about Narek, what we can even trust everything the Romulans do secret revealed earlier in this episode or reinforced. Um, Narek, of course, only being one of his many names because Matt, he's a private person, uh, but he will see her at the checkpoint. Uh, interesting that uh, he speaks Romulan. She understands it uh, before he kisses her and leaves. Back we go to the chateau. See what we did there, Pete? Picard, not Picard. Back to Picard. Uh, Dr. Moritz Beneyoun is there. Pete, you remember him from, well, if you don't remember him, they're going to refer to him uh, as the good old times on the Stargazer back in the day. Uh, is the next show, Matt, Star Trek Stargazer? Oh, man. I mean, I would love, I'd, I'd love that. Uh, you want to make it animated? You want to do this? You want to do whatever it is? That could be a ton of fun. I, you know, you probably can't recast for a younger Picard. Although I know Picard's son could probably handle that. Um, but bottom Tom line Hardy's here, available. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, grumpy Tom Hardy. Anyhow, Picard had sent Benayoun a remote med scan. Just was looking for that rubber stamp to get the okay for interstellar service. But wait. Pete, why is Dr. Benayoun here? Is there news, Pete? There is, you know, that that tricky result up in the parietal lobe. We've heard this before. Could could be, you know, a couple different types of related syndromes here. Picard was told a long time ago, you know, how all good things will eventually come to an end uh that uh something 
was going on in his parietal lobe. Um, but uh, with a symptom rundown here, the worst of which being inappropriate displays of anger on interplanetary news hollows, um, Benny Yoon says there's a need for more tests. And uh, is Picard interested in some sort of secret mission? Is that why, is that why he has reached out? Uh, to get this medical clearance. Hey, remember all those secret missions on the Stargazer? See, look now, it fits. Uh, such good times. But do you really want to go out there? Picard says yes. And Dr. Benyun, setting Pete the most dire of story clocks, uh, medium term, you know, I know we got a second season order, but Dr. Benyun wondering if it might be best if the mission kills him first. Yeah, uh, dire indeed. With that, we switch to San Francisco Starfleet headquarters this time instead of the quantum archives. You know, they're right next door. Um, in the foyer there, the giant holographic Constitution class vessel looks down before, of course, it switches to a galaxy class as the retired Admiral checks in with Starfleet Lackey who makes them say his name and then oh hey hey how good to see you up and around there admiral as he resentfully slaps the visitor badge on which we were so lucky and i was so excited to receive at new york comic-con yes a real treat i must admit pete the ones given away at new york comic-con a tad smaller than the real thing but uh, i won't complain one bit uh pete i know we're not in the villains segment yet of the podcast but uh is check-in man who doesn't know picard is he the biggest villain in the episode forget all the romulan conspiracies and the sleeper agents isn't it check-in man who doesn't know our man jean-luc <laughs> i don't think he's shot Vosh. if he is then they're really really deep in this thing uh picard goes to see admiral kirsten clancy uh, who's not happy to hear a tale of a missing Bruce Maddox spinning out new synthetics. Uh, Picard has a request to be, it's a small request, Pete, reinstated for one mission, get a warp-capable recon ship, and a small crew. Uh, Pete, with that, in case you didn't know, this is not your father's Star Trek because the Admiral calls it sheer effing audacity, except, Pete, she says the word, welcome to All Access. Uh, yes. She explains that the Romulans were helped as far as they could, uh, but 14 worlds were ready to leave the Federation. Pete, are we looking here at some sort of, uh, you know, like withdrawal thing? I mean, is this the the Star Wars prequels where, where people are pulling out, they're going to form their own confederacy, get a droid army, etc.? I mean, to think that 900, 800 some odd, years down the road where we're going to catch up with discovery. And we already know from trailers that the Federation will fall on hard times and have very few systems remaining. I, I don't know that we can quite pin it to this. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of connective tissue exists between. There's just too much time, but that the Admiral willing to take that demotion to captain, um, in the hope of going after this thread that hangs after the potential implosion of the Federation, should they have not cut the Romulans loose, despite 
their plea for help. Um, they didn't have enough ships and Picard straight up warns Admiral Clancy, uh, that if they don't pursue this, there's going to be issues, but she says that these are the pitiable delusions of a once great man desperate to matter. And the actress has uh, referred to her role as Margaret Thatcher in space. And I don't think the Iron Lady could have destroyed Jean-Luc Picard's dignity anymore. There was a weird article online arguing for why this admiral should not have been Admiral Janeway, which is weird because it wasn't Admiral Janeway. Uh, and the reasons were Admiral Clancy is far too mean and disrespectful than Janeway. So therefore it should not have been Janeway, but it wasn't. So I guess right. we all agree. That makes Good no job. sense. And if you're arguing that it should have been Janeway for the case of a cameo, um, do <laughs> we ever want the revered Janeway to treat the revered Picard in such a way, like understand the need for, um, mean but apparently benign people considering she's unaware of the Jot Vosh uh conspiracy within Starfleet. Yeah, I mean I would even go so far as to argue in the life of an actor, and I don't know, are we gonna see Admiral Clancy every episode? Is this just a one and done? But you know, this a very capable actress who plays Admiral Clancy, but uh, you must get the script and go, oh boy, all right, in this scene, I'm the person that everybody hates, and I move the plot forward, if she got a whole script, I mean, it might have been, you know, embargoed and whatnot, but let's say she had access to the whole story, all right, I'm the person who tells him no, so he can now get his ragtag crew, you know, together in later episodes and all that, and everybody's gonna hate me, because I don't give an inspiring speech, I just call him an, a pitiable, a pitiable old man, you know, and throw rocks at our beloved character and whatnot. And that's what the story requires. Uh, so ably acted, as you said, Pete. And I think uh, also worth pointing out, she's a little rough about it, but mm -hmm. from her perspective, a flawed perspective to be true, but from her perspective, she is not out of line in saying the deal was you go home, you don't cause trouble anymore we need to deal with the real things going on, not the weird conspiracies that you've put together on the other side of the world. Request denied <sighs> as he heads down the escalator there with the voiceover echoing to the artifact. We go, Matt, where a pair of Andorian women walk by uh, Michael Jabon, the showrunner on his Instagram uh, had a photo with them from May of last year. So it gives you an approximate when this episode was filmed. But uh, Soji is helping a Trill female colleague put on her red jumpsuit there. Her residency was supposed to start six months ago, but the Romulan Free State revoked it when she was halfway there, wherever there is. Um, no idea why and why it was finally reinstated, but there she is. And Soji says they still don't have a clear idea of how damaged the cube is. So they're not in complete control of it, which is a fascinating and simultaneously terrifying notion as they're suiting up here. Okay. 
the the octagonal badges going on there or later told will turn green if you're in danger and the only thing to do then is to run so they are in a haunted house and it's <laughs> awesome and i want to see more of it now well and i think another quite big takeaway from this scene which to the credit of the show they're they're both showing us and also kind of slow pedaling because it's not it's not major to uh, this story arc in this episode we have this trill scientist here okay i mean obviously soji appears to be human but it had not been clear before this scene is this some hidden cube is it a big secret no there's it's fine it's in the the power of the romulan free state no huge surprise there given the the the, the amount of romulan control that we had seen prior to this episode but the idea that there is uh, for lack of a better word there is an exchange program going on there is a study program going on that a human like soji a trill like this trill character can apply for be considered for eventually make their way there um this idea of everybody knows that the cube exists maybe not maybe the federation and the klingons etc don't know the exact location but there's a certain broad level of openness that was not apparent last episode yeah, and uh, of course, everything will be fine. Uh, this uh, doctor, we get a name a little uh, later on from Narek, who of course knows it, and it's nearly unpronounceable. Uh, but, you know, she will definitely, definitely not be assimilated at some point. Pete, as uh, Soji and her new friend are listening, uh, side note, not completely listening. I understand for reasons of exposition, but how about you listen carefully to the Romulan representative of the Artifact Institute when he tells you what you can and can't do and how you, you know, can prevent your death here. Uh, they also, Pete, notice Narek, who is hot. Um, what else is going on in this scene? So, so hot. H-A-W-T. Yeah, uh, the sign, this facility has gone 5,843 days. That's 16 years, Matt, without an assimilation. Okay, so 14 years ago was the attack on Mars. Uh, there's another 14, which we're going to point out in a little bit, uh, that connects to this uh, Borg Artifact Research Institute, which is name-checked in this seen by the checkpoint supervisor speaking that they are so callously ignoring that. Um, but 16 years ago, there was an assimilation on this cube uh, as they're welcome to Operation Cycle 9834 and uh, told, you know, not to venture outside the research areas. Anything that, uh, you know, seems benign could be malignant. Again, the inherent danger of this place, of something that's still so uh, misunderstood like the Borg. And, you know, I, I think we get it as the viewer, and that's what makes the Borg terrifying, is the lack of understanding, is the fear of technological overload simultaneously this alien concept and then you're not under your own faculties and and why it made it so tragic that picard would be assimilated and still maintain this connection something that's surely going to be explored 
throughout this series and this season. Um, you know, but at any time, this thing is dangerous. You know, you're, you're, you're out on a starship. It's one thing, you know, you encounter a virus or an alien or something like that. That's potentially harmful, but the thing they are working and living in at any moment, they could come across something that could turn them against themselves. Well, I think you framed it perfectly that within this story and within most uh, Star Trek stories involving the Borg, it is the idea of the haunted house, but instead of ghosts, it's kind of the, the opposite. It's, it's this overload of technology. Um, and to make it worse, question mark, it's a haunted house with all the lights turned on. You know, it's not scary because you can't see. It's scary because you can see all the charging ports and the guys walking towards you who ignore you or the guys who are now coming after you that, fine, you took one down, now their shields are up, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, if nothing else, the speech given here by the uh, by the uh, the Romulan representative, a reminder that this, too, is a ticking story bomb of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and me thinks that though there hasn't been an assimilation in 16 years, maybe we're going to get one in the next oh, it's, eight it's episodes. What do you think? Maybe even Dr. Nashala. I'm going to try this one really quick here. Kumadasifi. <laughs> uh, Pete, you said that with the perfect trill uh, um, emphasis there. Yeah, so um, trill polytechnic. And uh, Narek, of course, knows her because the secretive Romulan secret police guy knows everybody and uh the 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 concern here that it could reestablish a link to the borg again any moment uh is it wise to release them no 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 soji points out we're not releasing them we're reclaiming them you know romulan reclamation site not releasing site uh Narek asks to join Soji for her procedure and she says that she can't give the approval he'll, he'll need to get it from the director of the project and then she walks through the checkpoint and he looks off as he does sometimes <laughs> and says he won't uh because he likes to end the scene with a dramatic stare off into the distance so Pete this scene has been not with Picard so now for the next scene Back we go to the chateau. Dr. Gerardi has come to visit. Picard says he doesn't like science fiction because she's holding a science fiction book. But Pete, uh, Picard doesn't like science fiction. Uh, we, we laugh now. Ha 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 ha. Yes, but she appreciates the classics like Isaac Asimov's The Complete Robot here. Uh, so hard, of course, for her to tear herself away from the action in her lab at the Daystrom Institute, ha, 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 there is no action. There are also four lights. But uh, she's she's an Earl Grey fan. They have this bond. And uh, she's gathered up everything from Maddox's tenure, uh, most of it black boxed uh, after his disappearance. But she's been thinking about the painting. And if, if Matt, Maddox, and uh, Data... They, they were friends after a fashion, which is news to us, given the way the only time we've ever seen Bruce Maddox in The Measure of a Man. Well, but Pete, you're, you're forgetting that Data, uh, Data's day was Data narrating to Bruce Maddox. So uh, I think yes. there's your friendship of a fashion. Many people on online were upset because Maddox is a bad, bad man. But it turns out, Pete, some people 
when you give them the truth and you give a conversation, they can change as people. Uh, but not the people who are angry that Maddox must be damned forever in the you know, lowest pits of Klingon hell. But it makes sense uh, if they had used, if Maddox is using Data's neurons to make uh, new synthetic models, that they would be modeled after the painting there. Hence the uh, similarity between uh, the painting and Dodge and Soji Asha. Um, but digging in, as uh, Dr. Gerardi has done, uh, to Dodge's acceptance into the Daystrom Institute. Uh, though proof exists that she existed, there are transcripts and there are acceptances and, you know, all this. It points to a time three years ago where she seems to be, uh, you know, constructed from whole cloth from nothing. Maddox definitely had that ability, but the motive remains unclear. So this is a way for, and elegantly I should add, for the show to show us, as the best writing does, rather than tell, that um, Dr. Girardi is up to speed with the Romulan conspiracy of the Jat Vash wiping her away because she is sad she will never know dodge or be able to examine her it actually is amazing how much exposition there is in this episode let's say particularly relative to the last one which obviously had to introduce picard and where he's up to now and all these new characters and whatnot but there's a whole lot of talk in this episode and they do a pretty darn good job of hiding it in legitimate conversations like of course Gerardi would come a couple days after her first meeting with Picard to update him um and to share the latest in the investigation and things of that sort but Pete I don't want you or me or the viewers to get bogged down by too many of these details because uh she I believe it's she who says that the bigger question is so you're listening because there's a bigger question maybe it's Picard that says it what about the other one so if you've got lost in the past, the show quickly saying, but wait, what about the other one? With that, Pete, we cut to the cube where there is the other one. You see what they did there? That was a story yeah. handoff. What is she after? Borg patients on tables here, we're told, uh, in really kind of a autopsy type of atmosphere, the continuing procedure on patient 8923, stroke 3, one of the nameless parts are taken off by masked uh, doctors, scientists, and bagged. The time in regenestasis, Matt, 14 years. If only something else had happened 14 years ago. Wait a minute, Pete. The Borg are part robot, and the synths are all robot. Are you? I don't want to blow the theory segment, but you might be pointing to a connection there. Um, it's mentioned that Soji hates the fact that they are referred to as nameless. Pete, that shows her heart. I see what you're doing, Story. You're having me be sympathetic to Soji as a person. Um, this is even as the Romulan doctor removes that ocular piece and we get a nice juicy close-up of, you know, kind of just fetid skin and whatnot. Um, Pete, the sound design here. Now, this is an episode. Let me get it out. Let me get out my nerd rage now. There were legitimate 
problems with the sound mix of this episode, at least on all access. I don't know on the the um, prime end. Uh, there'd be times where dialogue would be very, very quiet. So you turn your volume up. The next scene is loud music and it blasts your ears out. Multiple- See, I didn't have that issue. I had the fatal playback error again this week. And then I also had, as I know you did, the issue of the subtitles running behind the dialogue. Pause, pause, pause. Subtitles running behind the dialogue, it says in subtitles three seconds after. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just, you know, I mean, I don't want to say I don't say a small quibble because it impacted my viewing experience. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, all right, fine. There we've covered it. Hopefully cbs does a better job at you know making it go pete we got we got uh enterprise crew making the show and we got pack leads delivering the show and it's just frustrating well but thank just, goodness our money is going to story and effects and not infrastructure <laughs> um side note there is a hierarchy of those infrastructure people like i think it's apple tv somebody just hired an infrastructure, a high-level infrastructure person from uh, from Netflix. So there are. It's like, of course, Apple's going to hire it. I think it was Apple, or of course, Hulu is going to pull from them. Da da da. Meanwhile, there's CBS All Access, just uh, you know, uh, tinkling in the wind. But Pete, here's what I want to say about this scene. Though there were sound balance problems, there is a heartbeat going on shortly after the ocular piece is removed. I didn't know if that was meant to be emotional for us i don't know if it was meant to be the borg's heartbeat is he is the body still alive uh, is it meant to be soji's heartbeat and the passion she's feeling in the moment um uh, or for all i know it did uh, cbs all access mix up soundtracks and this is actually uh, a heartbeat from a hawaii 50 episode i don't know i think it's intentionally unclear but we know that you know there's the connection between soji who we know to be synthetic and the Borg are some species we don't know the name of and uh, having been assimilated as well. Uh, And then she speaks Romulan telling her friend that he is free before a clock chimes and really, really well done shot the reflection of the clock uh on picard there oh my god good i was concerned we were going to do two scenes without picard note (laughs) note from up above you can't do that it's going to upset the people he's he's named in the show um so at his desk he pulls open a drawer a starfleet uh circular box there opens it we we can't see because we've not seen a trailer we don't know what's inside of it but he goes outside he looks up puts the com badge on not the current com badge the uh last style of com badge from the films and calls raffi begging her and what i love that sir patrick delivers here you know the the gravitas of the character and then completely abandoning it it immediately characterizes uh the uh, unseen Raffi at this point that he's pleading with her not to hang up because he needs her help and a ship before looking up to the stars with the Starfleet, the next generation fanfare. 
Uh, he also says, please don't hang up, which initially I was going to be like, ah, who uses such old timey words? But Pete, if we were in the car together and your window was down and it was a blowing cold wind into the car, mightn't I still say roll up your window, even though uh, your car does not have a rolly and hasn't for some time? Yes. So there you go. Sometimes our language retains uh, old things from, from the past. Um, at Starfleet Command, because again, Pete, I don't want to hammer this too much. The rest of the episode, if not the entire episode, is Picard, not Picard, Picard, not Picard, etc. Uh, at Starfleet Command, the Admiral is hollow calling uh, Commodore O, who is Vulcan by both demeanor and the idic on her desk. Or is she? Uh, the idea of a Romulan incursion on Earth. It's impossible, Admiral Clancy. There's the whole chain of command here. If evidence occurred, Commodore O would know. And if Commodore O knew, Clancy would know. And if Clancy knew, everybody would know. Impossible. Impossible. Uh, call over Lieutenant Rizzo to be Commodore ASAP, please. Yes, and just these other details that get sprinkled into this conversation that... Uh, she thought, Commodore O thought, they all did, that Picard was safely mothballed on that vineyard of his, the Hermit of Labar. Just the disrespectful way in which she's coldly referring to him as we see that idic on the desk. And then uh, it, it's clear that Admiral Clancy cares for Picard, the, the way she says that this was sad um, and the cold, calculating nature of Commodore O, uh, you know, of course, Starfleet would know if you and I knew because this would be an intolerable act of war. So now that that conversation is over, going to bring in this lieutenant before we go back to the title character because this is his show <laughs> uh at the chateau picard has plans laris is upset that he's doing all this pete she drops the tea uh cart there the, the tea tray uh calls it dementia which is a, a a cold cut indeed uh but she justifies it for such a silly idea jaban wants to go and laris is so angry at both of them that she walks out uh, so I was like, oh, I guess Jaban, who I still assume is named for showrunner Michael Jaban, uh, he gets to go on the adventure, right? Sorry, Jaban. He has a beard. <laughs> That's true. Um, you need to mind the grapes. Uh, maybe, and Pete, this is the best moan of the episode, Jaban name-checking. You know who could help you? Maybe Riker, Worf, LaForge. Pete, Jordy lives. It's okay. Yeah, some concern with the Countdown uh, comic that he's shown working at Utopia Planitia and the attack has obviously taken place. So Jordy survived. Great. Okay. And, and important. What I take a little bit of umbrage here is that the crew would potentially include, I don't know, Troy crusher, um, you know, some really, really important people on the crew, strong women, who uh, you couldn't use a beta Z at all, right? To try to tell what these emotional Romulans could be up to. Couldn't use a doctor at all 
to uh, one, take care of Picard because we know that he's got some condition, probably aromatic syndrome like she diagnosed way back when. Uh, and, you know, to uh, be able to uh, scan life forms and, and give that stuff there. But it's Jabon saying it. Maybe he doesn't know. It's it's the, the willful suspension of disbelief here. Maybe he's not familiar with those crewmates. Maybe, Pete, we could say it's not the show being sexist. It's Japan. It's it's one of those outsider Romulans who's sexist and not the show what made the script and whatnot. Bottom line, Pete, this is a really, um, this is an interesting setup here. Because why won't Picard reach out to those people? He knows that they would help out of loyalty. Uh, he doesn't want to put them at risk, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and Jabon notes that Picard needs someone who hates him and has nothing to lose. That's when Picard says he already called her. So this setup, we, of course, have already had the call to Rafi. Big mystery if you haven't seen the previews or been to a panel at San Diego Comic-Con or uh, the superior one at New York Comic-Con. Um, you have no idea who Rafi is if you haven't been listening to the podcast and to the preview, et cetera, et cetera. Willful suspension of disbelief, but it's setting up her as someone who hates him and has nothing to lose, which is a fun character affect. Back in Commodore Conspiracy's office here, she's pouring over the holographic images of the attack that resulted in Dodge's destruction. Uh, which I thought, you know, given what she's looked at, I thought maybe, and I know some people have pointed to, we see the uh, the rifle explode, but we don't see Dodge explode. It's obscured by the fireball. Did she get beamed out like the one uh, Romulan attacker did when he went over the handrail? But she's looking at the uh, the scrubbed footage and it seems there's disruptor fire evident in the reflection of the handrail did lieutenant rizzo and the rest of her team screw up even more than they already screwed up the big takeaway here is the commodore o knows all the details of the plot even things she was not exposed to by the admiral uh, add to that that Rizzo is ready to clean up the Picard problem. Pete, clean up with his death. Yeah. Uh, o keeping her on a short leash, uh, leash though. And um, as you mentioned, this revelation that O is aware of Rizzo's team, you know, having some very dirty hands in in the managing of all of this. Uh, and the threat that Rizzo, Rizzo had better manage the next part better, including having put her best man who's on the job. Yes, which worries the Commodore. Uh, but Rizzo vouches for him with her life, and she needs to manage this case in person. So again, story clocks here. You're going to travel from San Francisco, Starfleet headquarters, Earth, to wherever Borg Artifact Research Institute is, where him, Narek, of course, is. Uh, and uh, everything is at stake. This gigantic secret, of course, Jad Vash all over this. So back to Picard getting dropped off in a shuttle cab, Matt. So you see that people who freak out about Discovery era 
shuttles. Um, they're used as school buses 14 years ago. They're now used as cabs. I'm sure, you know, a couple seasons down the road when uh, Rafi's, uh, you know, daughter is learning how to drive, she's going to take a Discovery era shuttle up. And I know even either Trek or Trek movie, one of those two on Twitter, you know, somebody said, oh, this has never been done before. Uh, how, how long do we see the Excelsior class uh, for like 110 years or, or was the answer like <laughs> there, the latest. There's still Discovery as uh, Discovery. There are still uh, Excelsior era uh, class ships, I'm sure, in the uh, 30th, 33rd century, wherever we're going with Discovery. They uh, it's a sturdy uh, design. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and not the reuse of the one model that they had, you know, over and over. Not at all because of a highly practical reason. Use, use non-digital things. Um, and the bottom line here is, all right, he's been dropped off at Vasquez Rocks or similar. Um, we know at the very least, though, Pete, all these, I, it's not quite jokes, but all the, the little bit of fun we're having against the people who are have their souls hurt by Discovery Era uh, shuttles. Uh, the fact that it's a taxi, if nothing else that's meant to communicate, we are still on Earth, yes. unquestionably. Um, and of course, and headed. Head canonically speaking, Matt, Rafi lives at Vasquez Rocks because of their importance in the Star Trek uh, film and TV universe. Yeah, of course, this is where Kirk fought the Gorn. It's where the Flintstones movie uh, exterior sets were built among, you know, being used in tons and tons of other things. Um, Rafi comes out phaser rifle in hand. We know Pete cause it kind of has the, the, you know, power up sound tells Picard to scram. Uh, she's not going to hear any words that he has to say. And he turns around, not even secret Romulan assassins operating on earth. Uh, that's when she notices that he's got some wine. Is it an 86? If it is all right, come on up, cut to wide shot as she kind of angrily, you know, throws her cup of water out across, you know, <laughs> off of the balcony because uh, she's going to have to drink some of that famous Picard 86. Cut to Borg Artifact Research Institute where uh, Narek receives Lieutenant Rizzo, but later we learn, of course, it's a hollow projection. Uh, her ridiculous disguise noted with her round ears that make her look like a plucked Wackick, and I don't know what's better, the word itself or the way it comes out in uh, Harry Treadway's British accent. Uh, but of course, the this again another scene that's actually doing a lot of exposition heavy lifting. Um, his sexy time plan was approved by her, um, but what does he come up with? Nothing. Proof of more of the the the, the these synthetic creatures no in fact no baby brother it has not <laughs> expositional familial references um it's just a very busy scene that is effective with music and acting and and all of that uh anything else that you glean from this scene pete the discussion of a nest um very interesting word and then has the machine of course we're referring to soji at least we think that we're led to believe that she's referring to soji given up the location of its fellow abominations so 
all right, Jot Bosch not liking synthetic life forms, Romulan as a species uh, not fond of them, hence referring to it as an abomination. But this concept of a nest on a repurposed Borg cube that at any time you venture into an area in this gigantic spaceship structure and you could be turned into uh, a machine with biological components. Um, yeah, there, there's this mystery that continues and, you know, as, as much as I think we're down on the binge model because, you know, you go through it and then what more is there to talk about? It definitely, you know, dulls the excitement as far as a podcast uh, and, and an audience is concerned. Just wish you could load up the next one at the end of this episode. Pete, an incoming threat analysis. Let's start with the plastic person, F8, or as you pointed out, Fate. Yeah, uh, just the vibe you get early on that they're used as tools that there are, you know, largely disrespectful notions poured on them. There was the one woman who said, hey, you can't talk like that. They can hear you. So there's some who believed that uh, they were like people. And um, obviously the majority did not. They were abused or made to feel less than the sentience of them called into question. But whatever happened, whether it was a board connection because of the 14 year time frame checked in the two different locations or the eyes worrying and then the plan unfolding, whatever happened that F eight and the other similar models wreaked this terrible, terrible havoc upon the Utopia Planitia shipyards and Mars in general, fires that still burn even 14 years later, uh, effective to begin this episode. And I think also the way in which this conspiracy is unfolding, uh, it, it's it's a subtle one. This is certainly is not setting up you know, some Westworld style, you know, I'm not clear what's going on at, at all times. And that's part of the fun, or even, you know, lost my beloved lost our beloved lost, I should say, you know, where like mysteries abound. It, it doesn't make you think, I don't know what's going on, but there's a reason why they return here. And it's not just, Oh man, how did the attack happen? Because we don't have a better understanding of how the attack happened because of this scene. We have a little bit more detail and we have the reminder that somehow it is still connected to things. It's not just a jumping off point of, hey, there was this thing and because of it, you know, Picard retired. Because that's kind of how the attack functioned in the last episode. Here it's this reminder that it's an ongoing threat. Add to it the revelation of the Jat Vash as, as an existing uh, thing. And not just, you know, oh, part of super secret security amongst the Romulan people, but existing on multiple worlds for thousands of years. I mean, if that's not the most terrifying threat in the galaxy right now, I don't know what is. Guarding some long-standing terrible secret. And 
the introduction of them in the second episode makes the most sense. It would have been far too cumbersome to reveal in a pilot. Uh, and you know, the, the talky points of this episode. And like you said, whether or not they chose after the script was delivered, you know, Hanalee Culpepper says, well, you know, we're going to, there's no action sequences in this episode. So we're going to make this as actiony as we can for the, uh, you know, use of the expository nature. Um, but the, the boogeyman is the, the perfect term that they use to describe it. So, all right, there's the Tal Shiar, which if you didn't know, and you're just coming to this show, the Romulans have a secret police force. This is the secret, secret, secret police force within a secretive species and culture. And, uh, you know, that, um, Laris and Jabon were Tal Shiar that they've heard of this, that relatives have, have bandied about this rumored Jat Vash that we actually have Jat Vash in the episode and a couple of the other characters uh, listed on our threat analysis brings it all vitally into focus. Well, and with that, we can uh, jump now to talking about the CNC of Starfleet, Admiral Kirsten Clancy, uh, who, again, as mentioned, uh, as mentioned earlier, has the uh, unenviable task within the story of being mean to our man Picard while you know to be fair it, from her perspective everything is just fine without him coming in and causing causing trouble yeah and clearly not Jot Vosh so that's necessary to establish because you watch that scene knowing there's a super secret Romulan uh, police force and okay is, is she in on it is she one of them no, she's just angry that Picard, and, and he admits he was wrong by going on and, and airing Starfleet's uh, dirty laundry on the on the hollow broadcast. He, he regrets it, and I think that further humanizes him from this large figure. He has regrets um, beyond, of course, you know, waiting to die these last 20 years rather than living and, you know, his grief over data. But, uh, you know, she, she's a character. She's in a tough spot. And I, I think we can lead the episode admiring her at the same time, you know, reviling the way that she treats Picard and also that this conspiracy is going on right under her nose. As for Commodore O, I feel like the episode pre presents a character very much in the gray, no gray zone pun intended, Um she clearly knows more than not. She's not completely uh, sharing all that she knows up the chain of command to Admiral Clancy. Uh, to what degree is she complicit with what she believes is the existing Romulan plan? To what degree is she a tool and not complicit? Um, I think a lot of potential there. If nothing else, I appreciate that the episode put that idic on her desk to mm -hmm. make it 110% clear at least for this episode, she is Vulcan. Could there be a revelation that et cetera, et cetera, down right. the line? Sure, but the intention of this episode is Commodore O, Vulcan uh, officer. It, I mean, not 
name checked, not, you know, when I came from so-and-so on Vulcan, not done there. You, you do need to know the symbol. Uh, but again, in terms of not overly indulging in exposition in this episode, that that symbol is on her desk. We can reasonably understand that she is Vulcan. The, the appearance of Vulcan and Romulan, what with the pointy ears, and then some Romulans have a more prominent forehead. Um, but yeah, the, the cold calculating nature here, definitely more of a Vulcan vibe, unemotional. Um, and then when she pitches it over to Lieutenant Rizzo, also Jad Vash, also, um, well, no, she, she is definitively, uh, Romulan. She's wearing some sort of disguise and, or she's had her ears, uh, cosmetically altered. Yeah. And I think that's the even bigger, uh, takeaway, the notion that, all right, there's, behind the scenes uh security operations going on that you know isn't going up completely to the chain of command i think that that's that's not the traditional rosy view that we have of starfleet but i think that that's that's their real world sometimes that's our real world sometimes then factor in you know a romulan in humans clothing uh, then factor in, it's not just Pete, and I can do this off the top of my head, it's not just Simon Tarsis, who back in the day in The Next Generation concealed the fact that he was, in fact, one quarter Romulan as opposed to one quarter Vulcan. Uh, astonished gasps, astonished gasps from the, <laughs> from the court-martial crowd or, or whatever it was, the, the crowd there in the court. Um, but the fact that she's not just any Romulan, she's part of this larger operation, so she's doing Starfleet security dirty work and doing Romulan dirty work on top of that, uh, it just it, it it confuses the situation in a wonderful way. Exactly what should be happening twenty percent through this season. Yeah, and it's not as if uh, Starfleet doesn't have its own secret police in Section Thirty One. Um, a uh, a pilot already uh, existing in script form, getting ready to shoot in May, headlined by, of course. Michelle Yeoh, uh, that we are so excited to see from co-showrunners Bojan Kim and Erica Lippold. And to be clear for those that uh, maybe aren't up to date with Discovery, and even if you are, it's not entirely clear. Let's put it like this, Pete. This way it's completely spoiler-free if we have listeners who are going back and discovering Discovery, no pun intended. It is certainly not entirely clear when that show will be taking place uh, when in the Star Trek timeline. My expectation is not concurrent to Picard, but we'll see. Pete, on the long-range sensors here, let's start with something that we're bringing this up not to be cheeky, not to be a joke, so stay with us. We're not about to go dude bro here. Uh, Soji stepping out of the, uh, out of the, the snuggle time, uh, wearing some underoos with a high waistband, uh, perhaps Pete just meant to be modesty for the 21st century, modesty for the 24th century. I don't know. Or is it to conceal the fact that she does not have a belly button? It's a really interesting theory to cover up for a, a costuming choice. 
And I mean, of course, I think the Star Trek response could be, or, you know, the, the technological response could be, Hey, if you can make, uh, a soon type Android back in the day, let alone next generation, let alone now we have this flesh and blood version in Soji and her sister, of course you could pop a belly button on there. True. To me, it's more the possibility of, is there the reveal at some point that there is no belly button uh, and that, you know, within the show and that leads to some sort of character moment and we go back and go, but wait, wasn't she in just her, 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 her bedtime attire back in the scene? Oh, it was a secret all along. Pete, moving on to another one. I know I just firmly got behind the show saying that Commodore O is definitely Vulcan. Any possibility that she's later outed as Romulan? Well, I think we can't ignore the next generation unification storyline, given the the Vulcan involvement here in this Romulan conspiracy. So it, it's opened up to the possibility of it. Will they pursue it? You got to remember that part of the reason we're in this story is the Romulan supernova. Okay. There was a plan by the Vulcans using red matter to attempt to stop it. There was an ambassador named Spock, former Starfleet, who had been working with the Romulans on this. And then Romulans were upset that he didn't succeed and chased him into the Kelvin universe, not this prime universe in which this story is taking place. It would be interesting if the placement of the Idic on her desk is later revealed to be like that there has been a bit of a Romulan homecoming to Vulcan. Oh, she's one of these people who has uh, purged her emotions and she is everybody knows that she's actually from Romulus, but she's gone through the Vulcan training program, blah, 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 you know, low these last 10 years or even farther back. If you want to go back to uh, to, to the unification episodes, which aired in 1991 so we're talking you know what almost 30 years ago at this point in our time as well as in in the star trek times yeah and to have leonard nimoy reprise his role there um and then to come back for the 2009 uh and then the 2013 film the the last one of course before he passed away from copd but um yeah, I, I think the the nebulous nature of it at this point, again, this intrigue, this episode could not have been the pilot. So you build upon that. And, and again, there were some people, there wasn't action in this one. But okay, well, one of the, one of the uh, complaints of the first episode was, why is there action in my uh, contemplative science fiction show? There was somebody on Twitter who, uh, I believe it was our pal Craig, who had said in response to one of these Tempest in the Teapots, like, there's just some people who they want, you can't like the things they don't like versus like, or, you don't like what you like. like the things they like. <laughs> there's that, when it comes to Star Trek, that is sometimes the case uh, as well. Pete, another question for you. How high up does this Romulan conspiracy go? Uh, it definitely goes all the way up to the top of the Jat Vash, and I'm completely confident in saying that. <laughs> um, and last one for me. So last week, oh, Pete, Laris, and Jaban 
a little older than not, you know, a little bit past middle-aged. There they are, so appreciative of old Jean-Luc who helped out their people. Sure, we'll come and putter about in the garden and help you out in your last, you know, decade or, or, or decades of your life. Thanks so much for trying to save our people. Now revealed to be former Tal Shiar secret agents. This is like, I don't know, this is like finding out that, uh, you know, the the retired president there at home, uh, it's actually James Bond who's been his butler for the last 15 years. What is going on? Well, I, I think, number one, it had been established in the, in the Countdown comic. Two, not everybody's going to check that out. And three, to have it revealed on screen here. I don't think it diminishes their, uh, you know, venerable respect of Picard. In fact, I I think it enhances it that these former Romulan secret police would work in service to him. Um, Yes, to, to mind him for another government, but also because they care about him because of what he did for their people. I, I think it further endears them. What theories do you have on your scanners? What is this secret so profound and terrible that just learning it can break a person's mind? Are Romulans, since there's no AI or androids, have they been robots for thousands upon thousands of years? I mean... If there's a better answer than that, I don't know what it is. I think that the episode intentionally and ably, again, I'll say gray, it plays in the gray, no pun intended for the, for the gray badges in this episode, but it's a little it's a little vague. Like, is the secret that they hate all AI? And I think it you're meant to maybe walk away saying that, and you're like, well, wait, they just said it out loud. How is that such a terrible thing that it makes you... Uh, just your brain explode or whatever it the, might be. The loathing, though, comes back to self. Yeah. That, yeah, it, it really feels... But again, it, it could be a, a variety of things. It's the only one that I'm smart enough to, to float at this point, um, unless there's some kind of connection with the Borg. You know, we've had teases of Borg origin stories you know the countdown comics to the uh the original um 2009 kelvin star trek film uh have the narada the the ship that uh the the romulan uh rogue there is piloting assimilated by the borg and his borg technology um do the borg and the Romulans go back even further than that. Is that a potential connection? What, did they create the Borg um, and, and they got away from them? And hence they've, they've sworn off AI because they created this, this terrible species that a Romulan doctor here refers to as the nameless for the first time. Um, it, well, it I think that, be, I was going to say, I think that's a very, if it's not surprise, your beloved Romulans going all the way back to, you know, crafted from Gene Roddenberry's typewriter, surprise, now we're going to retroactively make them all Cylon robots, which I'm not, you know, I would be okay with that as a revelation because it's, it's the way that they're layering it here. Um, if it's not that, and I think the next logical one is surprise, the Borg, this 
you know, I mean, I mean, to call the Borg space Nazis, I think undersells it. Uh, not that Nazis aren't, you know, totally despicable, but it's like a plague. It's like the, you know, the, the black death that has descended upon, uh, this part of the galaxy, uh, and, and, and nigh unstoppable though it's been stopped at every turn for story reasons. So, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, the fact that there's the possibility that the Romulans created this thing and now it's come back to haunt everybody and, you know, and, and the Romulans are saying, oh, poor us, you didn't help us out enough uh, for this one problem. But meanwhile, we caused the greatest problem the galaxy has ever seen. I think that's a great theory as well. Narek has a green triangular earpiece in his right ear. Um, it's kind of incongruous in the first scene in this episode when the chime of the alarm goes off. We're led to believe for a second it's going off in his ear. He's receiving a transmission, but we see it in multiple scenes. We never see him use it. What's up with that? Pete, look, sometimes Star Trek predicts the future. Sometimes it replies to our present in the last couple of years. Okay. It's been, it's become fashionable for the coolest of the cool to leave those AirPods in all the time. You don't know whether they're listening what to their fantastic geek podcast or they're listening to their dance music or whatever kids nowadays do, their Spotify's, etc. Narek just has that in all the time cuz sometimes he'll just turn his head away and he'll be like play my sick beats and other times that's how he'll get his hollow phone calls or whatever. Dude just does not want to take his Romulan AirPod out and you can't tell him otherwise, Space Dad. Wow. Um, we've started that story clock a long time ago with, uh, Dr. Crusher's, uh, discovery of an abnormality in, uh, Captain Picard's parietal lobe, something that the finale of the next generation tells us, aromatic syndrome, uh, basically space dementia. Um, so that's there that's been confirmed in this episode that some syndrome is present they all pretty much end the same so we have a, a tragic future ahead for picard we have the potential that whatever mission he's going to go on here could end in his death i think the very real possibility given the nature of this show built specifically around one character with his name in the title uh, given that they're already preparing to shoot the second season as the first season is just beginning to air. And three, the advanced age of the lead in Patrick Stewart, soon to turn 80 years old. You got to wonder, will this show ultimately close the book on the character? Will it end in his demise? Well, I, I think it's a very... Uh, respectful but appropriate question i'll just add to the scenario that uh early buzz is that they've been uh pre-picked up for season three and it might be a case where filming does not stop they might do 20 episodes back to back um season two season three which is even more suggestive to me i mean you know with all due respect to patrick stewart and the the, the wonderful vivacity that he has uh, right now, I mean, they know this is not a show that's going to run for 10 years just because of the nature of, of life and whatnot. So 
with Patrick Stewart as someone who's in the writer's room, with Patrick Stewart as somebody who has a production credit, with Patrick Stewart who, if he so chose, could go on the modern uh, news nets and say, here's how terrible they were for me in this show, even though they gave me a lot of money, they were terrible. Like, he hasn't done that. So I can only assume he too has had a hand in crafting the end point of this character and i don't think picard's gonna die at the end of this season because i know there's one to two more there's one banked uh you know literally banked there's one you know in the process of being made now and a, a third season apparently not far behind in terms of production but if they're looking to stick the ending of this character and the final episode of star trek picard is truly picard's last outing uh, to me, it's a brave notion because I don't know that every episode we need to be reminded that uh, Patrick Stewart and Picard, nay, all of us, uh, you know, will meet our end one day. But that is baked into the show that, you know, you get older. So from that to the timeline of events here, 5,843 days uh, without an assimilation on the Borg uh, artifact research institute 16 years then 14 years ago we put a borg in regenestasis also 14 years ago the attack on mars gotta be interconnected right yeah and as we've discussed many times before maybe not as often on the picard podcast but certainly a common theme in fantastic discussions in the last year or two has been how does one build a show that is both uh, serial in its stories and has this kind of this kind of sticky stuff where you go "Ooh, here's my theory and Brown how do you put sticky in stuff <laughs> indeed uh, such as coolant and whatever um, how do you build in enough so that people have stuff to chew over week to week particularly if you're going to only give us one a week, which is apparently increasingly the kind of post-Netflix model. How do you put enough in there to theorize over, but not so much that, and the example I keep returning to, there were some super smart people or super crazy people, regardless, you know, on Reddit, who after the second or third episode of Westworld in the first season, blew that, that revelation that was meant for the 10th episode blew it wide open and now you increasingly had people following along with check boxes to make sure that the theory checked out as opposed to getting that gut punch the gut punch for example mr war fire nobody saw that to be continued nobody saw that coming back in 1991 uh but how do you how do you construct all of this it appears that this show is building a construction that has these things baked in but you don't quite notice it and if there is enough where you do notice it it's not enough to hang a theory on after two episodes so this cube is damaged there are portions of it you're not allowed to go into because you could be assimilated by technology by wall fixtures by uh borg drones that are still active um so we've we've still not ventured into that portion. Um, and of course, uh, trail lady at some point is, is going to be the, the one who's going to be in an area where her badge blinks green and she runs and doesn't make it or she doesn't run at all. Right. 
Um, uh, Pete, here's how I imagine the scene. Okay, all of a sudden, they, her, and uh, her and Soji, the the badges start to blink, um, and maybe there's an increasing blink. I don't know. Uh, run, 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 and then the Indiana Jones style wall comes down. It will be clear. Uh, Soji safe, uh, and then the the trill doctor. No wait. Bang, bang, bang. I can't. Oh, there's steam everywhere. Oh, face against window. Ah, oh, then pulled into the pulled into the, 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 the steam, into the fog, as you hear a clunk, clunk, clunk of uh, heavy Borg feet on the metal plating. Uh, Pete, if I am 100% right, that's because I'm that good. I know nothing about this third episode, which, of course, hundreds of people have seen at premieres across the world. Can we add into that uh, as a affectation, a rolling Borg sphere a la the boulder in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I think that would perfectly complete it, but uh, I'm definitely down with you on that. Matt, this episode, all right, it gets a little bit of an asterisk because uh, she may have said uh, feckers and not the real F word I'm referring to uh, Laris the actress is Irish but this matched the all time and series uh, output as well as episode output for the number of I'm not going to call them F bombs here Matt we're going to call them F torpedoes um, will Picard break that will Patrick Stewart join that as uh, a regular to say, to utter an F torpedo on a Star Trek TV show. For Patrick Stewart to say it on a Star Trek TV show would be utter barbarity. <laughs> uh, and I say uh, that if somebody did request that of him, he would say, the line must be drawn here. <laughs> so <laughs> I say, no <laughs> there are no F bombs coming from my <laughs> mouth. Um, I, Look, I think it's just, it, you know, there was much hand-wringing when Discovery did it for the first time. Oh, Gene's Trek. Changing nature of television, slightly mature audience. Also, I mean, slightly m- more mature world. You used to not hear people use that. I'm sure, you know, back in the days of, you know, Gene's Trek, you wouldn't go to do food shopping and overhear somebody say that. If you did, it would be astonished gasps and the manager would come talk to whatever punk kid said that nowadays it'd be like you know you drop the watermelon and you see somebody drop a watermelon on their foot they drop an f-bomb okay you know like f torpedo matt f torpedo sorry um such is the way it is um so commodore o says that dodge was destroyed before she could be interrogated so does this definitively mean that that character is gone. There was no last minute beam out. There was no, well, we collected the parts and they're in a warehouse someplace. Dodge dead. I mean, I'll give the same answer that I've given for, for other things involving this show in the last two episodes, you know, presented as dead for now. Uh, Could that change? you know, uh, astonished reveal that somebody opens a drawer and there's, you know, Dodge bits the way we've seen B4 bits and uh, uh, lore bits and things like that. Sure. But I mean, for now, the episode being upfront and saying totally gone, totally toasted. And then last one for me, Matt, this idea 
the the phrase nest and the abominations. So we know that the Borg use a hive collective, that there would be a nest potentially on this artifact cube, a holdover of Borg still operating together. Really, really evocative, mysterious, just the use of that, whatever connection it might have with Soji. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll add to it. There's definitely the the negative, you know, uh, of it being a nest, kind of you know, nest of of vermin, that sort of thing. Um, one of those things, I suppose, we'll just have to wait and see as uh, these episodes unfurl. With that, Pete, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, let's start with an email from our pal, William Cornegay. Uh, he actually sent this a couple weeks ago. Gmail put it in the wrong thing. It didn't make it to the inbox. No fault of his. There's nothing Shot Bosch all over that right there. Oh, absolutely. Pete, the, it, it was... The, the data was re-indexed to make it uh, nigh unfindable, but we found it. Um, this is him talking about having seen his first Star Trek short trek. Um, Star Trek short trek could have been a great opportunity to give us a peek at Earth culture in the 23rd century. I think he means 24th. It's all good. As much as we've been shown of Federation life, there is little we've been shown of civilian life or even the Federation on Earth. Children of Mars was too short and the cast too sparse. Where was the dialogue? I felt as if I was watching eight minutes of montage. There was even a pop song. It should have been easy to sympathize with two girls suddenly orphaned. Lil will spend the rest of her life knowing the last time her father saw her, she hung up on him. But I don't care, not as much as I should. The girls were not fleshed out and the ending felt incomplete. Star Trek has lost its optimism and sense of exploration. They no longer boldly go. Discovery is not about seeing what's out there. Picard certainly won't be. Again, Pete has written before Picard came out. I hope Noah Hawley gets it right. The essence of man will not change. We will always love, hate, fight, reconcile. But Roddenberry showed us a positive future, not one in which a father would not see his daughter for months at a time because of work. If these writers don't embrace Gene's vision, they should create their own fictional universe. I can definitely see William's points, but... I really need to push back on the idea that Star Trek remains optimistic. This idea of the future where people are teaming together when it would seem as if the circumstances would dictate they would fly apart uh, continues to be the core of Star Trek. Um, the discussion in this episode, and I hope William is, is sticking with the series. I hope he's going to stick with Discovery. Um, but in this episode where Picard is arguing that we needed to help the Romulans, that we need to quash this uh, Romulan secret police conspiracy that he has evidence is conducting and that the government is saying doesn't exist. Um, these things remain prescient. Uh, I, I think they're important. I mean, the irony for me in Star Trek, if we, we want to, you know, look globally has always been, here's the hopeful vision of the future where there's no disease, there's no war, there's racism yet. What continually are the themes of Star Trek shows? Uh, they have enemies, <laughs> they have doctors on board because there's always an outbreak of 
you know, Navarin flu someplace going on and killing people that they've got to drop off supplies. And uh, there are always episodes about xenophobia. So in many ways, what William is saying is that, you know, we, we remain the same, remains the same. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just add to it the notion of Discovery not boldly going. I mean, they've been to a mirror universe. They've, you know, helped helped stop a war, uh, you know, helped stop another potential war in season two, things like that, let alone the the journey inwards, which I think is also a major factor here in Picard. It's not the major factor. Clearly, it's the Romulan conspiracy, how it connects to the Borg, uh, et cetera, and the data mystery. But, you know, this reflection on something that you don't see too often, which is at a certain point, we all stop being the heroes of our youth and we, we enter, you know, the, 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 the later years. You know, that's an, ex- an exploration of the self, an exploration of the interior as well. So I suppose Pete will have to agree to disagree with uh, with William here, but certainly hope to hear more from him in the future. Let's head to Twitter with our Twitter poll for this episode, Picard 102. Uh, one star, spell that please, 0%. Two stars, just visitor, 3.8% votes. Three stars and 86 got 34, uh, nay, almost 35% of the vote, Pete. And then down from last week, but still very, very impressive indeed. Four stars, incroyable is 61.5% uh, getting there on our Twitter poll. The only complaint I have with this episode, no number one. Oh, that's true. Uh, Pete, let's get some tweets from people here. Uh, first one from James. It's at Big Killin. I'm enjoying the slow build. The show matches the pace of the title character. Lots of intrigue. The show values age and experience like a bottle of 86. Uh, we also heard from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Can't say enough good about the fact that they are building and twisting the story at just the right pace. I'm savoring this pot of Earl Grey as a bruise. So Pete unintentionally back to back a praises of the the slow pace. Uh, you know, I don't know if slow is a pejorative, but of the pace and back to back metaphors using uh, Star Trek drinks. Right, right. Uh, we also have a tweet from Tom Lond uh, saying going three, but waffled a bit. Uh, this in terms of his vote. Uh, it was ex- overall extremely good, but was caught off guard by how short it felt. It didn't uh, feel like a full episode, but how? Uh, but it also didn't feel like a satisfying cliffhanger. It just ended. I'll have to see how I feel during tonight's rewatch. And last tweet, Pete, from uh, Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose 584. I said I'd never pay for any more than a month of all access, but joined for a year to watch Picard, then Discovery. I'm enjoying the show, and I'm not knowledgeable enough in all the Star Trek canon, so it's great so far. I listened to your podcast to fill me in on the details. That really makes me feel good, and I, I'm sure I can speak for Matt in this regard. You know, we really try to bring both the insider and then the outsider perspective and and make this, you know, something that people who have, you know, know to a limited understanding of Star Trek to, you know, the the seasoned ardent fan that's that's done the Trek mitzvah, as I refer to it, watching every episode of Star Trek ever. and, and being able to appreciate both sides. So thank you for that. And, you know, 
there's ever any of those canon questions, Rose, you be in touch. We'll, we'll answer them as best we can, either on social media or the podcast or both. Pete, let's now take a look at what is on your uh, pad there, your comm screen. We have a trio of reviews that have been left to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek on Apple Podcasts. The first coming from Mike underscore OSX headlined a great escape pod five stars and it reads i listened while cleaning the house uh thanks guys for making chores go by quickly really interesting stuff for this lifelong trek fan saw picard on the 23rd looking forward to more episodes oh absolutely and uh pete we don't have uh discovery era robots to do our cleanups yet uh maybe by the 24th 25th century they're gone we're a little bit more we're back to doing it by hand but in the interim glad the podcast can help next is from kylie g and the headline reads they make me feel better about being a geek four stars out of five and it reads to be fair i've never been ashamed of my geekiness but i've always felt isolated in it in that I could never find people who share my interests. I stumbled upon this podcast when looking for any podcast that would be talking about the forthcoming Star Trek Picard, and I have immediately become a fan. They're not fancy, just two guys talking some Trek, which makes it feel like we're just sitting in my living room talking about my favorite franchise. I'm excited to go through some of their back catalog to get caught up on the geekiness. Thanks, guys. Well, I think that that perfectly captures what we strive for at Fantastic Geek, which is to be having that casual conversation. Pete, it's always three people in the conversation, you and me and the listener. So glad that they're enjoying it. Welcome to the Geeky Crew. Last review here and then we're going to have our uh, drawing for the uh, think geek exclusive uh picard facepalm bust left for us by uh d gums uh the headline is great podcast five stars and it reads simply really enjoying the show guys thanks for all you do it is absolutely our pleasure and with that pete i guess now it is prize time it is so of the 12 ratings and reviews here uh between the names we've been given and uh the people who emailed in got our little uh box full of uh names gonna draw out one and sean stevens if you could please reach out to me we will get you that prize congratulations now pete a prize for everyone that's right Please stand at attention as we hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 1 Episode 2. The episode of tonight, I didn't like that so much. I really have to rewatch it and even more than once because... As it is now, I think it's a 6 or a 7 as a grade because I found it a blabber episode. Talking, talking, talking. And my wife also agreed on that. And actually I had a quite some busy day today and a whole week. Now it's Friday of course. And actually I fell asleep watching this episode. But that is 
perhaps just me being very tired, um, I really have to rewatch and perhaps then also the feedback gets better. Okay, coming back a little bit to last week's episode, I think it's a brilliant idea that Dash and her twin sister were made from some positronic neural cell of data. If you would compare this to DNA, well, potentially you could reconstruct a person completely from just one cell because one human cell contains all the DNA. Well, if you do this in a positronic way, that could be the basis of creation, a clone, a kind of clone of data. Some people on social media suggested that the growth speed of Daj and her sister could be accelerated somehow because, well, the 14 years is not enough for this Daj, which is clearly older than the 14 years. But I don't think these androids did grow at all. And we get some indication in this episode that they are really constructed and they had put memories, Agnes says that, into their minds. And probably the mother is not a real mother, but just uh, something in her mind or some kind of a connection to some computer. And there is no real mom and no real growing up. How will these androids grow up anyhow? We also saw that in Lal. Lal was Data's daughter, but she was in size an adult person. She had to grow in her mind, but not in her size. I think it's still a mystery why Data, when he painted his daughter about three years after Lal died as Dash, why didn't he paint Lal? And did Maddox create Dash and her twin sister from Data's painting? So, something strange there. And I really wonder if Maddox, as some people suggested, will play the role as the so-called father of these two girls. And in this episode we see Soji is so-called fully sexual functional, but we already knew that from Data as well. As I remember well, he had a sexual relation with Tasha Yar, and that's why she always played a special role in his life. Well, to give better feedback about this episode, I really have to rewatch, and perhaps I will include some stuff next week. Okay, that was all for this time. Greets, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I think Fred. Uh it shows that we are we are in sync with Admiral Fred. Uh, this, you know, as pointed out in the body of the podcast, th- this a talky episode. I think, uh, by and large, it does a good job hiding a lot of that plot forwarding, backstory, catch you up to the info stuff with compelling character moments. Uh, but I think he's right that this is an episode that's heavy on talk, and, and as you had said, Pete, an episode that kind of uh was sold as uh less less action yeah but that intrigue you know for the story vegetables we had to eat it's just a different type of dessert it's uh it is more your plomeek soup than your cabbage <laughs> stew shall you say pete fred also mentioning a point i hadn't quite considered it shows the insight of fred here this mystery of data creating this painting of a prospective daughter a mere three years after his his real world daughter uh, real world in the show that is to say lal had died 
Yeah, and and the three being a number featured in this episode that it's been three years since Dodge and uh, Soji seem to have been created from whole cloth, presumably by Maddox. So it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. And last but not least, Pete, uh, we are always very highbrow gentlemen, even off the air. But I have to admit, Fred was the first one to to get to the punchline here that uh, Soji, just like, and I suppose Dodge as well by implication, uh, but, but Soji, much like Data being fully functional, a great callback to the Naked Now, an insane yeah. episode. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows it, but just one of the most insane episodes of Star Trek. Right, and then The Measure of a Man, where that becomes a plot point that... Tasha Yar died that, uh, you know, here, this android not regarded as a man, as as a piece of Starfleet property that won't be allowed to resign, uh, has this uh, device that allows him to uh, remember Tasha, with whom he had a special relationship. Got to think even further, Matt, if, if Soji and, and Dodge in death fully functional could they potentially as women become pregnant i wonder if that you know is that something that gets explored down the line is that something bandied about the writer's room or does it quickly start to sound like that guy who was part of the star trek family ronald d moore who then left and he did a show where the the robots and the humans tried to have a baby and we can't do that because how dare ron moore turns back on star trek i joke a little bit nobody that's part of the star trek leadership now you know would have been hurt by uh ron moore leaving and whatnot but pete what else do you have from fred in addition to uh sharing his desktop uh images that he's been using the past couple weeks of uh the picard uh winery uh, he also sent a still from this episode of when Picard and Laris were going through Dodge's computer. And there's uh, a photo of uh, two females, uh, one significantly younger than the other. And he said, if you haven't recorded yet, I additionally wonder if this photograph on Dodge's desk will gain some significance in the future. It's If it's not... I'm sorry, it's not Soji and Dodge. I even think it is not Dodge herself either, so two other young women. I think, given the photo, it's a implanted photo, if you will. It's one of these memories. The older woman looks like uh, Dodge's mother. I think the younger woman is, uh, or the young girl, is meant to be a young Dodge, and this is... Hey, photo we took at Disneyland Paris in the year 23, whatever. And again, it, it we come back to, you know, is that picture just some really well-meaning set decorator was like, I got to decorate this set. I'll put some picture. Oh, it, it, she's actually a secret with that. Well, she still would believe she has this the end of story. Or did Alex Kurtzman sit down and go, ah, we need to craft a secret, a secret thing so that you can go back and go in every episode we've been building up to this. And we need to make sure that the set 
deck worker puts a picture that's just like this, just like, you know, it's either the greatest of conspiracies or the most of, you know, the, the most of mundane, you know, kind of set dressing to make the thing look nice on TV. You know, we'll, we'll never quite know. Well, I guess we will know by the end of the season. And Pete, as we record this, just got a message from our pal Stephanie that she sent us some extended thoughts. So opening up the email right now, I mean, Pete, if this was five minutes later, would have missed would have <laughs> missed the cutoff. So it just shows, Pete, whoever's writing this episode of Our Lives, they have a great sense of timing. So here's Stephanie's email. So I really like the show so far. Great detail. Still some things do annoy me. Not hating. The xenophobic characters are making me angry, but that's the point, though, right? It makes me wonder, what's behind the hate this time? More Terran Prime or Section 31 hooey, but with the Romulans? Or something different altogether? And whatever happened to the Remans? Are they still around, or did the Nova take them out? I'm speculating, but patient. I like suspended suspense, and I don't expect everything answered right away, or sometimes at all. Though, I'm trying to gauge timeline. I knew this is based post-Nemesis. However, the timeline interruptions in Enterprise and the Kelvin movie universe also apply because that would scrabble the timeline a bit and things uh, may not click. I mean, Earth has been partially destroyed and what's the status of Vulcan? Either way, that's uh, more of my complete thoughts. Pete, that's from Stephanie, a.k.a. Wingsteph on Twitter. So, Pete, where are we in the timeline? We are in the prime universe in the year 2399 so vulcan is okay vulcan was not attacked in in the main timeline uh status of earth i mean let's see it dealt with the dominion wars in deep space nine dealt with uh the romulan brush up against it in in first contact off the top of my head there hasn't been anything in because i'm trying to do the timeline in order i'm thinking of discovery but that's you know 100 years prior to Picard and now 800 some odd years ahead. <laughs> uh, true. But I mean, so earth is fine. Earth has been basically chugging along as it has been aside from these occasional, you know, intergalactic invasions. Uh, Vulcan is okay. And um, definitively in this episode, Pete were placed in uh, 2399, the, the end of the 24th century. Yep. Well, Pete, all of this made possible by the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek as we click over to what'll probably be one of the longer Picard podcasts, although who knows? I wouldn't have thought that we would be at the minute, uh, the hour 45 minute mark uh, based on this rather talky episode. So big thanks to all who support us there. Everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content, takes just a dollar a month to get you in that sh door. Sh and check everything out that we have there for you. Can't contribute at this time? You can head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, take seconds, leave us a review, takes it a little bit more. And just like the drawing today, we usually have something going, get a little something extra for your time. Pete, all those goodies there, but the best, it's a freebie. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,103 followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with Fantastic Geek. 
in a variety of ways. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. Also, Pete, the listener line, sometimes off-used, sometimes not. You can always leave a message about the latest Star Trek episode at 732-707-1815. Or, like Fred, you can create your own MP3 on your phone, your desktop, or whatever. Email that. But wait, Pete, there still is more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back next weekend to talk uh, Picard episode 103. Certainly glorious times here, hanging out with old Jean-Luc. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Do you really want to go back out into the cold? <laughs> <laughs>